What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Movies Are Good podcast. My name is Byman, and I am your host. This has been an interesting week for movies. I, <laughs> what I did was I went to the cinema this week, and to give you the gist, I went, and just the way timings worked out, I wanted to see all three of the new big films in, and I went, and the timings worked out, so I saw Air, then I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie, and then I saw The Pope's Exorcist. So my day just went like, whoa. <laughs> like, it started out real good and then just slowly got worse and worse. And we're going to talk about all three of those today. We're also going to talk about Murder Mystery and its new sequel that's out. And we are going to talk about the Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. Yes! <laughs> all I can say is, oh god, yes, that is going to be a time. Let me tell you, yeah. So, we're going to start this week with the Super Mario Bros. movie. It's the biggest release of the week, and it is going to be the biggest winner at the box office out of these new three ones. Um, What did I think? You know, we all laughed a lot about Chris Pratt and being cast as Mario, and I will give them credit that they start the movie with a joke about that. Well, not quite. They start the movie with the scene looking, making Bowser look menacing. But right after that, the first thing you see of Mario and Luigi is them putting on these funky, really silly Italian accents for this TV commercial. And I think more than anything else that was done just to prove the point that, yeah, we could have cast, like, an Italian to do the proper wahoo kind of dumb Mario Italian noises the whole way through the movie, but it would have been not good. It, it would have just come off like Mario in general when time, you know, he kind of makes proper Italian noises or anything. Like, mildly racist. Not really, but, like, a little bit like, uh, So should they have actually cast an Italian for this? Yeah, you know? <laughs> the interesting thing is I saw John Leguizmo, who played Luigi in the 1993 live-action Mario movie, coming out and complaining that they didn't cast a Latino for Luigi this time. Which I thought was interesting. He said they diversified the character, only to then de-diversify. Interesting that... He never had a problem with him, a Latino, playing a Italian character, but it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> what do I think of the movie? You know, it was, for me... Here's the thing. Going in, I had very strange expectations for this one. Because I thought that it was either going to be a surprise revelation, amazing, beautifully fun movie, or a complete disaster. I could not make up my mind about which it was going to be. And in the end... It ended up pretty much smack dab in the middle, which is just kind of like, I, I, I didn't come out of it feeling disappointed. I came out of it feeling, oh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and, and that's kind of, that summarizes it. It's, it's got everything you want and mostly have already been shown in the trailers. It doesn't have much more than that. It weirdly focuses much more on Mario journeying around with Toad or Peach or Donkey Kong than ever basically being with Luigi, um, <laughs> which was an interesting choice when the, the film's called Mario Brothers. Um, it is enjoyable, for sure. It's a little kiddie-directed for a film that's meant to be giving, you know, making 50-year-old men cry. It probably will anyway, just for the nostalgia. Um, it is, it's got so many Easter eggs. It, I, I noticed a lot of really sneaky ones at the beginning when they come out of they're in, like, a bar or a restaurant. They come out, and the place next door is called Punch-Out. Uh, for, for Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. There's some really specific ones. I'm sure I missed more 
Um, there are so many mentions to the previous games themselves. Obviously, they ride around in carts. They um, do bits that are really reminiscent of, I mean, Super Mario World. I think there was an Odyssey one in there at one point. Luigi's Mansion actually kind of gets its own thing. There's, It's surprising how much they managed to cram in. It is only 90 minutes long, so it does, for me, feel chock-a-block. It feels overstuffed with these references and with things they're trying to do and fit in. They did really try and do a whole separate journey for building the relationship between Mario and Toad, and then one for Mario and Peach, and then one for Mario and Donkey Kong. And it, it was a little much to shove into the one movie. Um... There are characters they left out, but obviously just to tease in post-credit scenes, yeah, stay. <laughs> you should stay at the end if you're going to go see this. Um, I enjoyed it. I did. I thought the whole... Yeah, it just feels rushed. It does. That's my biggest problem with it, is Mario... He kind of He's kind of shown at the start to be quite agile and good at jumping around when him and Luigi are just in, in the real world at the beginning. So it's not like too insane that he quite quickly picks up on all of the fighting and power-ups and all of that that they have in their world. It was it was fine. I really liked Peach as a character. I thought Annie Taylor-Joy was always going to be great at that. I really liked Charlie Day because I, I thought from the beginning he was going to be great at Luigi. Seth Rogen is a surprisingly good Donkey Kong considering that he really is just playing Seth Rogen as, let's face it, he always is. Um... <laughs> Jack Black is very, very Jack Black, but, and and that kind of brought up the point in my head, all of these characters, like, how much characterization have they had in the, you know, million games they've been in? They don't, most of them speak a lot of the time, so it, it kind of works out. Even, even Bowser, what's his character really meant to be? It got away with making him very Jack Blacky, because... <laughs> What were you expecting? And Jack Black, when he had to be quite menacing and do those moments, it worked quite well. I thought the final battle was um, a bit disappointing. A bit disappointing. For for an animated movie, it's never going to be like, whoa, incredible. But yeah, even so, comparing it to some others as a finale, it let me down a bit. Uh, the Mario Kart sequence was probably my favorite in the film. That was... Really well done. Really nice to look at. And being on Rainbow Road, it was incredibly colourful. The animation was great. Uh, and then Mario and Donkey Kong being trapped with each other in this sort of very squished down format of a buddy cop movie. <laughs> it's like 10 minutes long. Um, after that was really fun. Uh, Luigi's Mansion bit, I really enjoyed. That was that was a funny thing to add in for sure. And they did it well. Um, I don't have complaints for most of the sequences. It did just feel like they were zapping between them very quickly, trying to fit in everything. And maybe watching it back again, I'll feel better about that. Maybe I'll feel worse. I can't really say. It It, it felt like a roller coaster ride. Like it was just, if you're on a Mario roller coaster or, or a slower kind of Mario theme park ride, where it's just taking you between, like, oh, this room's a Mario Kart room. Oh, this room's a... Super Mario World Room. Oh, this one's like him against Donkey Kong. Oh, like the old, old games. Oh. And, yeah. It would have an equal number, a theme park ride like that, of just Easter eggs to old games and things. It was pretty much like that. That's the experience I got out of it. Enjoyable. Fleeting. Not a legendary animated movie by any means. Not a terrible one by any means. It wouldn't start, I don't think, 
a franchise of animated movies if it wasn't the Mario name. Because it's going to get so many views. To be fair, Illumination just in general gets to make a franchise out of anything, it seems, at this point. They made a, they made a sequel for Sing. Made a sequel for The Secret Life of Pets, right? Oof. <laughs> they, they do anything. So there's definitely going to be more. Um, I won't be sad to have to go and see that to review it the next one. But I won't be looking forward to it, really. It's like the Sonic movies. The first one I kind of went, yeah, okay. By the time the second one came around, I was going, another one, all right. And I saw it and went, yeah, okay. I, I'm getting the same vibe from this franchise. Hopefully... A little bit better. I think they could do a little bit more when they don't feel quite so under pressure to throw everything in together. Put it that way. I'm hoping. And probably, yeah. So overall, I think Super Mario Bros. movie, I'm giving it a 62 out of 100. Um, I kind of initially thought maybe less. And then I thought about it more. And I went, no. In the cinema sitting there, I wasn't like gasping or, or crying or cheering. But I was feeling satisfied pretty much the whole way throughout. And that's 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 a four-star job, essentially. Not a great four-star film, but I'll, I'll give it the fourth star. Next, we're going to talk about Air. Um, this was definitely the film I was looking forward to most out of these three, and it definitely ended up being the best um, for me. It's the story of how Nike signed Michael Jordan in 1984 to a shoe deal instead of Converse or Reebok, well, no, not Reebok, Adidas was the other one, I think, uh, getting him. And it it is just a case of, wow, this is a legendary moment because everyone knows who Michael Jordan is, right? And also, wow, this is a legendary moment because it changed how much athletes get in these brand deals. These athletes are already, you know, rich in, in the 80s, so, so now it's just like, yeah, look at how these players became more rich. But you shouldn't think about that too much. Because in general, really fun movie. I It's definitely the most fun movie about a shoe brand deal I've ever seen. <laughs> and it does sound terribly boring when you put it that way. And it is just following around these business guys doing business things. And then in a very American way going, oh yeah, at themselves. Um, it's got a great cast. Matt Damon plays the main guy who wants to... Uh, wants to sign Michael even though everyone tells him it's impossible. And he basically manages to succeed doing that by... Well, by using the white straight man motto. Just don't take no for an answer. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of true, though. Um, so, it is, it's a very fun movie. Ben Affleck plays the CEO of the company. Jason Bateman's there as... Matt Damon's kind of, I don't know, head of department? Or, I don't know what his job is. He's in marketing. I don't, he, he's there as well. And he's a friendly confidant for him to talk to and for them to talk about, wow, I just feel that this guy could change the sport. Were they really saying it that much at the time that, oh yeah, this guy could change the sport, this guy could change the world? I mean, they must have been fairly confident because they did actually make this level of deal for him. So, yeah, all right, I'll give it to them. It's it's a little overly cheesy. It's got actual, when they're sitting in the meeting with Michael, it's got like an actual montage they put in of like his moments from that point in the future, his career and stuff, and it felt a little overdone. So did the kind of 1984 nostalgia. It is a time capsule. I love mid-80s nostalgia. That Films that are like that, I, I love them. Um, I, I, it was almost too much for me, so, so that's saying something, because I really do love films that feel a lot of nostalgia for the 80s. But it was bordering, well, not way too much, but it, it was bordering around too much for me. 
It has a soundtrack, great soundtrack, but filled and consistently pointing at you <laughs> with the 80s hits. It starts with a montage of things kind of going on at that time in pop culture and the news and everything. It really loves the 80s, especially the haircuts, so Jason Bateman's hair. Um, but in a good way, in, in a way that it does work. It's bordering on being too much, but it does work. It was a really fun movie. Um, it's never boring, which I have to give it credit for, for being a two-hour movie about making a shoe brand deal. It, it really feels like there should be a really plodding middle section there, and there's not so much, so that's impressive. And it's also just impressive that... <sighs> That despite being overly American, cheesy, inspiration style, I was still kind of on board with it. Not quite as much. I was kind of hoping that this would hit like a, like five stars outright for me. That this would be like a 84 out of 100 or so. I'm going to give it like a 79. I think it just misses out on that because it's just... If you were, if you were getting a slushy and you were like, okay, give me these five flavors... And, and they're, like, bordering on just putting in too much of each flavor. And then the last one just, like, feels like it's lacking a little bit. I'd say that's what this film is. It's It's got so much of that American patriotic inspiration, yeah, style. It's got so much of that, yeah, American businessmen are cool. White, straight American businessmen are cool. Are they? <laughs> it's got, um... It's got a lot of 80s nostalgia, and it just feels like, I don't know exactly what quality it is, but it feels like it's just a little light on something extra there. It's just a touch, and that is a minor complaint, because I do really enjoy this film, and I would totally watch it again. And 79 out of 100 is great. It's a high-level four-star movie. Way better four-star movie than the Mario one for me. It's just a little... It's just a little not quite there. Yeah. It's a weird one. I think part of it is they didn't want to have Michael in it. They didn't want to cast someone properly to play Michael. Like, there is someone standing there, but they go a little too far in the... He just turns his head at the wrong moment, so you can never quite see his face. And he does talk, but just a couple of lines. I don't know. Personally, because it, it does that and chooses to focus on his parents more as the people that they're making the deal with. I mean, he's a young guy. His parents... Probably did make all the deals for him and stuff. But, I don't know. I feel like all this nostalgia for him, his career, that's what the film's centred around. You probably just should have had someone properly playing him so that he could properly be a character in the film. I feel like that's what's lacking. Moments where his mother sits down with him alone, away from Matt Damon and all these other guys, and just talks to him. There was nothing ever like that. So, yeah, I feel like there is a lack, and that's kind of where it is. Um, it should have had more to do with Michael, instead of being just circling the boat. <laughs> this film's like a shark just nibbling at the edges of having Michael Jordan in it, instead of just diving in and getting that thing. That is, I think, where it lets itself down a little bit. I get that, okay, it might be a little bit cheesy or silly having someone play Michael Jordan, because no one could really be Michael Jordan. You, if you're making a film about Michael Jordan, you kind of you need to have Michael Jordan in it, I think, properly. And that was where it let down for me. Only a little bit. I still think it was a really fun movie. I would still totally watch it again. 7 out of 100 is great. Okay? Now we've got to talk about The Phobes Exorcist. <laughs> so this, this is me. I go in. I go in quite early at the cinema. 
um, like 11, half 11 in the morning, to see Air. I enjoyed a lot. I come out of that, it's like half one, I go in to see the Mario movie. I come out of that, it was fine. I, I go in at like 3pm, I've been at the cinema for four hours already, to see The Pope's Exorcist. So Russell Crowe, <laughs> baffling, I still can't believe they got him for this. Russell Crowe plays the Pope's exorcist, the true story, the real-life person who, for 30 years, up until 2016, doesn't actually say in the film whether they replaced him, because they were talking in the film about like getting rid of that role as an outdated church thing. They don't talk about whether he actually was replaced or whether they just got rid of the role. Um, but up until 2016, this guy was performing exorcisms at the behest of the Pope. And, um, yeah, I kind of thought the film would be best served by trying to be a little bit like the Conjuring movies. You know, the Conjuring movies, they do read from the Bible as they do the exorcisms. They do lay into the religion stuff a little, a bit light on it. But it's there while also having comedy, having lighthearted moments, and having heart. That's what really sets the Conjuring movies apart from me for, you know, a countless number of other demonic supernatural horror films, which are generally crap. Just fucking awful. And the Pope's Exorcist does do that. That is that is what surprised me and what really had me pretty on board for a while. Russell Crowe's character is, uh, for a priest, just downright quirky. He makes jokes, he laughs, he he makes jokes at inappropriate moments sometimes, and he says cuckoo a lot. Weird amount. Um, he did he did that really well. His role, he, he nailed it. The story. <laughs> the story is that there is this family from America, because they have to figure out how to have them speaking in English for most of the film when it's set in Spain. Um, they move into this old castle in Spain. Well, castle, monastery, abbey. I don't know what the word is. Um, and it's it's kind of this religious place which the church has an unhealthy relationship with, according to the Pope himself. Yes, the Pope actually appears in the film. <laughs> it's not actually the real Pope. They had an actor. It doesn't matter. Um, and <laughs> they... <laughs> They start getting haunted, and their little boy is, is possessed, and they're just trying to sell this place off. But they were trying to sell it off, because it's in their family, and her husband died, and this is all they left her somehow, it doesn't matter. And, um... Uh, uh, wait a second, how is that the only thing he left her? This is like a proper, richy estate, abbey, castle, monastery place. Why is that in his family and no money? It doesn't matter. So, uh, it's got a, yeah, the construction workers they hire to start doing stuff in there almost get blown up and unearth some great evil which unleashes itself and starts attaching itself to the boy. And uh, then Russell Crowe turns up and this whole part progresses very quickly. They kind of get into the house and they're there for like 10 minutes and then it's just like, whoa, evil. And then 10 minutes later the boy is like full head-turning crazy exorcist mode. Um... And Russell Crowe arrives, and he's working with this other priest who maybe isn't such a good priest, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I don't know why I did that. It's not cocaine. He, um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's been a little bit... Well, the, the, the thing that's in the boy goes after him for being like a, a panty sniffer. 
at first and then talks about him having sex with like the young daughter of some member of the church but he like says to Russell Crowe's character oh I, this girl she wanted, I was I fell in love with her I wanted to leave the church for her but then I decided no my love for God was stronger than my love for her so I didn't so he makes it sound a lot less creepy than the demon did and I, yeah hmm. we'll ignore that part basically they find out and this is kind of spoilers for eh, not the end of the film but a bit later as it goes into it um they find out that this demon has been trapped here this is one of the 200 sites on earth where angels fell from heaven old testament style to become demons and these 200 sites are all the most like god-hitting places in the world apparently so they've got a deal with that and the great evil that's here and then they find out that the great evil that's here is asmodeus the king of hell and that's the demon that's in the child and they've got to fight him off and oh at some point it really just lost me completely as uh dog shit <laughs> you know the whole first act it gets oh the boy's been possessed uh-oh a russell crow is badass exorcism guy rides around on a vespa an awful lot for a guy that we should be taking very seriously um and he makes a lot of jokes and it's like okay interesting you're setting this up a little bit conjuring style you know the the demon possesses him and then he's the big lead that they call in to help like they call him the warrens in the conjuring movies great okay there's some comedy lighthearted moments in between the horror great the one thing that struck me is that it's not filmed like a horror movie and depending on your opinion of traditional horror movie tropes that could be a good or a bad thing i feel like as an exorcism movie there are some things you gotta do there's really very few jump scares in this and that would be okay in other types of horror in a demonic movie i mean fair enough films like the exorcist older ones didn't really focus on jump scares they were scary anyway right there's something about some of that kind of horror that has just lessened over time as we all become less you know more more desensitized because we're all monsters and slowly becoming evil um i feel like i just didn't like the way it was shot personally it just didn't feel right maybe i don't need jump scares to enjoy a horror movie but it just didn't replace them with enough of the properly done creeping dread that you should feel in its place i guess so it it was kind of letting me down from that aspect but russell crowe was i mean at one point it was bordering on like a comedy because he was so light-hearted about so much of it made so many jokes that i was going a little bit eh? but i was still enjoying it for a certain time i think the first half i still enjoyed it it just kind of keeps going further off the reels though as it goes it feels like a, like a threequel there's not been any more of these, as far as I'm aware. I didn't need to see any other film before going into this. But it did just feel... I don't know. Like like we should already know Russell Crowe's character? <laughs> or that... The stakes needed to be upped from previous movies? Where they'd done it in a simpler format? Because you could have kept this simpler. And it could have still been great. They they didn't, they, they went overboard in what I would consider a very normal manner for a sequel. But this is the first movie. They just kept on going and going and raising the stakes throughout the movie until... I mean, the Pope at one point collapses and is in the hospital and is going, 
tell him, like Russell Crowe's character, that the evil is here, and and it's like the Pope's about to die, and it's like, like they're trying to make out. They don't say it explicitly, but they're trying to make out like he has collapsed because the d- demon in a different country, because the Pope's still in Rome, and this is all happening in Spain. But he's trying to make it out like the demon growing stronger is going to kill the Pope. So... <laughs> uh, God, I wish I could say this was the only horror movie this week that made me laugh by how bad it was. No, we'll get to Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Um, So, yeah, it's not good. It is very much, very strictly, gotta make that very clear, it's a bad movie. It's not, like, really terrible because it did do so much of it well. That's the weird thing. I still felt coming out of it like, okay, it's not the worst horror movie by any means I've seen recently. Really not by any means. Um, It's not even the worst horror movie probably that I've seen in the cinema in the last year. It is... It is hugely crazy and... It goes way off the rails for something that actually made it to the cinema. And as such, I am still stunned that Russell Crowe read this script and said, Yeah, sign me on. I don't know if he's just struggling to get roles or what, but he was definitely the highlight. Everybody else, yeah. Bog standard roles, not that great, not that interesting. Russell Crowe was the only actor that stood out as being even okay at all. And I did like his performance. Uh, it just... Oh, goes goes hard crazy times near the end. And it sets itself up like... <laughs> it feels like it sets itself up for like a, a sequel TV series. More than anything else. More than like a sequel film. Because him and this other priest go at the end. Alright, guess we gotta go take out these 199 other places where the devil is this strong. And I was just going, What? <laughs> It was like this was the crazy, ridiculous pilot to a TV show. If it was, it would never have been brought to series. This would have been stopped at the unaired pilot, for sure. Um, it was a mess. Not a good mess. I cannot recommend enough that you just skip this, unless you, like me, kind of get a kick out of real, real messy, bad horror movies. It's not... It's like a two-star, you know? It's like a 39 out of 100, but it was it was probably more like a high 50s out of 100 before that third act. Really just went so downhill so quickly. <laughs> um, some of these movies, especially demonic ones, can't quite stick the landing. The Conjuring ones always did it quite well in the third act. This one, oh my, yeah. Really didn't. Really didn't. And it's extraordinary to me, still. It will always be that Russell Crowe signed on to this. I gotta, I gotta look up interviews with him talking about this movie, just to see what he says about it. After having actually seen the finished product, because wow. Yeah. Um, that's the main, that's the main new releases for this week, at least in the cinema, and they were quite something, I gotta say. Uh, I wanted to talk about the murder mystery movies, because Murder Mystery 2 is kind of Netflix's biggest release this month. I mean... Yeah, pretty much. Netflix are really desperate for franchises, and they're desperate enough that they'll take this. They'll also take this because Adam Sandler just keeps selling bits of his soul to them, and he was pretty much willing to give as much as he can, and they're willing to take as much as they can because they desperately just need any content that has actors that are recognizable in it. 
just anything that's decent content or the next closest approximation. And look, the murder mystery movies, not bad. Yeah. They're they're not like Adam Sandler bad. Where it's like like Cupid Halloween or Jack and Jill. Like it's not so bad and so far past the line with all the jokes that you can't even see the line the line is a dot to you. It's more like it's just kind of generally American dumb. If you don't know what I mean by that, you're probably American. Um, <laughs> Americans, they just put in, like, a lot of this stuff, especially when they go to Europe. Oh, dear, when they go to Europe. <laughs> they try to avoid it, to not seem like bigots or racists when they go other places. But when they go to Europe, oh, they'll just be like, wow, oh, Cars driving on the wrong side of the road. How quirky. They always have to make at least one joke about that. They actually make the same joke in both murder mystery films. And um, and they have to they have to make fun of, well, not make fun of accents, but not be able to understand them and all this and be like, wow, your accent, wow. Even though Americans have the most annoyingly dumb accents out there. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of those things. Those are apparent in both these movies. Also, just this married couple, Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston. They work well together, but for some reason their characters hate each other. Like, they just never get along. I know, it's like a oh, old married couple kind of thing. <laughs> they have kids, it's never brought up. Um, doesn't matter. So, yeah, it is just kind of basic. Um, they really aren't humanized much. The fact that I don't know whether they have kids or whether they ever want to do or anything like that is a basic example of how little these characters work like actual, you know, movie characters that you want to care about or anything. Uh, Adam Sandler's basically playing that guy who just, you can't tell why, why she's still married to him. And Jennifer Aniston is playing that woman who is only a hairdresser but then spends the whole movie do, like just being way smarter than everybody else, especially her husband who is an actual cop. And, um, yeah, just has to be, like, the best at everything because she's just a hairdresser and just to defy expectations, you know? It's, it's annoying. Um, the first murder mystery, it had problems for me. The main problem was that you didn't care about... Well, you didn't really care about them that much. You didn't care about any of the other characters either. You didn't need to because they got mostly killed, like, three minutes after they started characterizing them properly. Um, my main issue was that you knew exactly what was happening. Like, some whodunits, you think you've solved it before the end. This one you knew you had because there was only about four people that were on the boat at the time of the first murder left alive at the end. They just walk into a room with them and they're like, oh yes, we're going to solve this now. And, yeah. <laughs> so that was the biggest silliness for me. Overall, it is a silly movie, but it's fun. I liked it. More than I expect to, and I watched it back this week because the new one was coming out. And I'd already seen it and thought, like, yeah. And so I expected, kind of watching it back, a film that I was like, eh, about the first time. I wasn't going to like it. I was going to go down on it. Go down on it sounds wrong. Um, I, I, was, I was going to lower its score, let's put it that way. Uh, I didn't. No, I kept it about the same. Because it just, it just is what it is, unabashedly. Doesn't care if you like it or not. It's just, yeah, just like all Netflix content, really. <laughs> just like a lot of it. It's just like, yep, here it is. Take it or leave it. Netflix is going to collapse in the next five years, isn't it? Wow. That's crazy. Uh, maybe. Uh, we'll see. So, yeah, I, I liked the first one. I felt like it wasn't very good at being a whodunit, but it was pretty okay at being this kind of dumb American comedy. The second one. Interestingly enough, watching it this week, it's just come out new on Netflix. Um, I kind of preferred. I 
I'd kind of say the first one, like uh, 53 out of 100. Second one, it's weird because I feel like when I first watched it, I felt like it was a lot better. And then I kind of rationalized it and went, no, my expectations were just that low. <laughs> it is exactly as dumb, as silly, as it's a little bit better at doing the whodun aspect, um, but maybe a little bit less funny. It kind of balances out and is slightly better. It's kind of a 54 out of 100. Don't get me wrong. These are kind of three-star films that you go, eh, about. If someone put it on again, I would go, all right. But I would probably never feel the need to watch them again. Well, unless they do a third one, then I might. It's, it is fine. I feel like it's just fine. The same as, like, the Mario movie. Like, I, I can't really get myself overly excited about it, but I also can't, like, hit on it too hard. Because they're just so there. They're just so happy being exactly what they are. They know exactly what they are, both of these films. Um, the second one does have a better whodunit plot. They've opened their own detective agency. It's feeling because they're just not good at being detectives. <laughs> That's literally what happens. They're not very good in the first one. They solve it anyway. Why? Because they keep guessing people, those people die, and then they eventually get it right because there's only like four people left. So it's not surprising that they open a detective agency and then find out they're not very good detectives. Especially since her husband, like Adam Sandler's character, field the detective's exam like three or four times prior to the first movie happening. So we already knew he wouldn't make a good detective. And then the first movie happened and didn't really prove they were good detectives. And then the second movie comes around and they're like, oh gosh, what? that's crazy, we're not good detectives. <laughs> and then the second movie has to happen so then they become much better at detecting as soon as they get to this wedding of the... the uh... Is he a sheik? Is he a... He's a... Royalty. <laughs> that guy from the first movie, you yeah. know. They go to his wedding, and then he gets kidnapped. Not murdered. Yeah. It's not a murder mystery. Other people die. Pe people do die, but... Yeah, the initial mystery is not a murder mystery. Ugh. Anyway, the sequel kind of goes bigger. Kind of goes bigger. Yeah, I feel like the set pieces were beyond that of the first movie. Uh, they fight a lot, Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Not, well, with each other as well, but they actually fight, like, well-trained men and beat them. And I mean, okay, Adam Sandler is a cop, maybe an American scrappy cop could beat some of these guys, but they're all, no, a lot of them are special forces trained guys. Jennifer Aniston, as far as we know, has no, like, training. It, yeah, it did feel sillier, but the whodunit aspect was better, just because there was more people left alive at the end. Um, and the twist at the end was, yeah yeah, you could kind of see it coming, but it was also not bad, so I'll, I'll give it that. And I did probably overall prefer the second one, which really is amazing for trashy comedy sequel, <laughs> that it wasn't, like, just a complete disaster. That is impressive. I'm just thinking of Adam Sandler's own terms, you know, like, grown-ups too. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> that, that's some bad stuff there. But yeah, it... If you're just looking for something chill to watch on Netflix, you like whodunits, why not? Why not just give them a go? They're fine. They're not really, really awful. <laughs> that is the highest praise you're going to get out of me for them, but it's it's not bad. And now it's time. <laughs> Guys, um, movies are good. But movies are also bad. So beautifully bad sometimes. And every week I try to have one segment where I just sit and talk about a movie that is meant to be bad. 
And in this case, I really, I, I don't feel like it was meant to be a horror classic. I'll be honest with you. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <clears throat> Let me describe this film to you, okay? And just, just close your eyes and imagine this, okay? Let's all close our eyes together and think about this. What if Christopher Robin had left the Hundred Acre Woods to go to college? Like in the Ewan McGregor Christopher Robin movie. Gotta leave, gotta move on with his life. But instead of moving on and being happy because they're stuffed animals, the animals in the Hundred Acre Wood, Winnie, Piglet, Owl, Rabbit, Eeyore, not Tigger, I don't know why, I guess they couldn't get the rights, whatever, they all start to starve to death. Don't know why, because Christopher Robin bringing them food consistently was not a part I remember from those stories. I remember Rabbit growing his own food, what the hell happened to that, doesn't matter. So they start starving to death. Christopher Robin's gone, college, living a life, getting married. And the animals, because they're starving to death. <laughs> they eat Eeyore! <laughs> It's told in kind of hand-drawn, simple animation. But you don't like the gist of it anyway. No. They eat Eeyore. They get really angry at Christopher Robin for abandoning them. And they decide that they're going to rue humanity. Be enemies of humanity. Never speak again. Ooh. That, that's the four of them. Pooh, Piglet, Island Rabbit that it's talking about. Island Rabbit are not in this movie. <laughs> It's just Pooh and Piglet, I should start out by saying that. Don't get your hopes up that they're going to turn up at some point. They don't. Nope. Uh, so, yeah. What happens then is Christopher Robin and his now wife return to the Hundred Acre Woods because she doesn't really believe in all of this and he wants to go back to see them again and to prove to his wife that they're real. And, um, basically, his wife gets fucking bodied. Oh, yeah. No, immediately just wrecked, murdered brutally. Yeah. Um... And then Winnie the Pooh, looking like a Russian lumberjack with a mask on. Well, he probably is a Russian lumberjack with a mask on. <laughs> the, he and Piglet, who just looks like a, I don't know, like a minotaur. Um, they capture Christopher Robin, torture him. And then this group of bikini-clad women, looking for a weekend away to blow off some steam, arrive in the Hundred Acre Woods. Staying at this nice house nearby. And so Winnie the Pooh and Piglet go on a murder spree. And the first woman they catch, Pooh just, he grabs her, he, he just whoop, and rips off her shirt. <laughs> so she's just shirtless. One quick movement. I guess he just had to get a look at those honeys. I hate myself. I guess I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> this film is definitely... I mean, I watched. I, I reviewed Raiders of the Last of the Lost Shark last week. Okay, that was my movies are bad for last week. Just to give you some context of how bad the movies I've watched for this segment are, this is the movie that has come closest to making me have an actual mental breakdown this year. <laughs> Maybe not ever, but definitely this year. It is one of the best examples of straight up so bad it's good. Some of the movie, like Raiders of the Lost Shark, was so bad 
that even though it's trying to make fun of itself and be funny along the way, it's just, it's feeling at being a bad movie, or it's feeling at being a movie, and then it's feeling at making fun of itself as well. So that's like the lowest form of anything. That's where you get into like single digits out of 100 for me. If you're almost there, but maybe a little bit more sincere, or some of the jokes land, you'll be in like the, the teens out of 100. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey makes it to, I gotta say, like, 25 out of 100. It is just tragic on a lot of levels. And it gets kind of... It's a short movie. It's a very short movie, but it still wears itself a little bit thin. You know, like, Saturday Night Live sketches? When they should be, like, three minutes, but they're, like, five minutes, and you're like, okay, it was kind of it was kind of good, but stop now. That's kind of how you feel at certain points about this, for sure. Um... I gotta say, though, it's so funny and so bad that I would definitely watch this again. That is high praise. Not not as in it's good, and it, it is really that bad <laughs> most of the time. Like, wow. But I, I would almost watch this again for the comedic aspect. Same as I would for, like, The Velocipaster. There are some movies that are that bad, they're great. Um, this is not the best example of it. But it is a good one, and just because it's because the ED or and and then because it's Winnie the Pooh and Piglet going on a murderous rampage, it just, you got to love it. You just have to love it a little bit. It's just so much fun. And if they were able to do this with more properties like this, I would watch those and probably love those too because it is just funny. It is just a YouTube video gone too far. <laughs> like they, it seems like the kind of thing that in 2010 some YouTuber would have made. Like this is a trailer. And then not actually made it into a film because that would be insane. So it is, it's a meme gone extreme. That's a good term for it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's, and a lot of these B, bad B-movies nowadays are just a meme gone extreme. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. In this case, for one of these, it definitely worked. Getting over 20 is a big success for one of these, for sure. Out of 100 for me. So it gets like a 25 out of 100. I have to call this film... Deep in the hundred acre woods where Christopher Robin gets flagged. <laughs> it's great. I love it so much. I came up with that, by the way. I I didn't steal that from the movie. Although the movie <laughs> during the opening sequence it does like a lot of news reports about like there's mysterious things happening in these woods, and it keeps saying things like, Don't go down to the woods today. <laughs> It's got funny moments, but it's got moments where it's trying to be funny, it's got moments where just the situation is crazy hilarious, and it's got moments that are just, like, weird or bad or dumb. Don't go into this thinking it's actually good. It is actually bad, but it's so enjoyably funny um, that I was really happy. This is exactly what I was hoping for going in, out of it. It's exactly what I hoped for. It, it couldn't quite be what I expected, but it was pretty much there, yeah. It was a great time. So, that's all of our main stuff for the week. I do every week talk about something happening outside of films in just general pop culture. This week, I want to talk about the Isle House. Now, if you don't know what the Isle House is, I'm going to explain this to you a little bit. And it's it's significant even if you've never watched it and never intend to. Because it is one of the most prime examples of how Disney still just don't seem to be very comfortable with... Gay people. 
<laughs> yeah. So the Owl House is a great show. It's an animated show that was on Disney Channel, and it went for two really strong seasons, and then it got shortened down to three specials to finish itself off because they cancelled it hard. And um, it just ended. It just brought out the final episode ever. And I'm not crying, you are. It was it was sad to see it go. I really loved this show because. It just, it set itself in this magical world. This girl, Luz, she gets transported uh, into this magical place called the Demonic, or the Boiling Isles, where there's demons, there's magic, and there's a magic school. And it does a lot of takes and riffs throughout on things like Harry Potter in a really fun way. It is a very open, modern show with... uh, everything with everything it's got gay relationships it's got they thems it's got all kinds of stuff that really felt impressively modern and a lot of it felt quite natural in a magical based world you know they're doing magic and stuff why do they care that much about gender roles or anything like that (laughs) they shouldn't but you know Harry Potter was written differently. <laughs> it does feel like it could have been a modern version of something like that. Not not on the same level. It was never going to be the same level of phenomenon that the Harry Potter books and films are. But it, it felt like a great take on those. And some of the jokes about that, really funny. And some of the stories they told, just admirable. Just that great form of modern animation TV. Uh, similar to like She-Ra and the Princess of Power. Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts. I've seen surprising amount of animation TV recently. And these shows all, they'll all tell the kind of stories that, well, like Disney's just agenda doesn't really suit. The other two shows weren't made by Disney. This one was and got cancelled short. <laughs> the other two didn't. Um, and Disney did. The main character is bisexual and has a girlfriend. And Disney clearly wasn't so on board and did indeed come out to say something like it's just not suited to our branding. So that's why it got cut short. It still managed to finish itself off well. Last season felt rushed, unfortunately, um, but it was always going to be. It's normally like 20 episode seasons and instead it was the length of about six episodes (laughs) by their standards. So um, I'm just sad about it and I'm just bummed out and I just think it's ridiculous. I want to say that, that Disney is still doing this. You know, it it feels insane. And it is insane. It's it's crazy. Um, but there's nothing much we can really do. I just wanted to say, you know, if you get a chance, if you've got Disney Plus, you can check it out there still. Worth checking out. Wor- worth just looking at this show. If you love great animated TV, if you love great magical-based fantasy stories, anything. It's just a wonderful time. And... It had proper strong emotions I was feeling, especially near the end there. Oh, but it's just got some individual episodes that I really thought that's some that's some of the best animated TV I've seen in a long time. So worth a look for sure if uh, if you guys fancy that kind of thing. And let me know other things you want to see me talk about like that because I have been checking out a lot of anime, a lot of animated TV recently. I've been enjoying it a lot. So, that's pretty much us for the week. We've got the look ahead, of course, for next week's episode. What's going to be on? I mean, there's there's not a there's not a lot being released. Renfield is coming out. That's going to be our big one next week, I think. Renfield is it's a comedy about the guy who works for Dracula and does all of his well, dirty work pretty much. And Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula, Nicholas Holtz the lead playing Renfield. Aquafina's in it like 
it just looks like a really fun cast, like it's going to be a really funny action comedy sort of movie. Um, it's going to be one of the, I, I don't, I'm estimating, I think it's going to be one of the better takes on the sort of Dracula mythos that we've seen in quite some time. And I'm hoping, I, I feel like I'm, I'm stretching a little here. I mean, Air just missed out on the five stars for me. Um, not a lot of things have made it recently. I'm hoping that this will. Renfield, I'm predicting five stars for it. Bold prediction, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, the other movie that's coming out next week, Assassin Club, stars Henry Golding. Um, it basically looks like, I've only seen the trailer once, just the other day. It looks like the, the typical story of this assassin, he's trying to get out of the game, he's very good at what he does. But instead of getting out of the game, he gets pitted against like six or seven other assassins and... They all have this huge contract out, and only one of them could survive. And it looks like it's got a decent cast. Uh, I feel like it's going to end up being a sort of field John Wick ripoff. Uh, we've seen a lot of films in that style. John Wick is by far the best, pretty much, in that style ever. Um, and I feel like it's going to be a disappointment. I feel like it's going to be a three-star movie. Not really terrible, but considerably worse off than any of the John Wick movies. That's the that's kind of level, I'm guessing. Because we're a little light on next week, I have decided... <laughs> oh, this is going to be interesting. I have decided what I'm going to do to make up time on next week's episode. Um, I talked last week about the Rocky and Creed movies a little late after Creed 3 coming out because I'd been watching through them catching up. Um, I, I, I did miss one other... <laughs> I've never seen a Magic Mike movie, <laughs> but I thought maybe it would be interesting to give it a go, because um, I missed reviewing Magic Mike's Last Dance when it came out last month, February, because I'd never seen them and just thought it's not really worth it. You know what? I'm going to give it a go. I've heard, I've heard good things and other things, and I'm just going to give it a go and see what I think I'm going to try and watch through. It's only three, right? It's only three movies. And um, and review all of those next week. Uh, we're also going to be looking on Movies Are Bad at the Super Mario's Brother movie from 1993, because I've never seen that, and I feel like maybe it's a, it's a good time to watch it. If there's ever going to be a good time to watch it. <laughs> I've heard some bad stuff. Uh, there's also a new Prime movie, Dennis Quaid in On a Wing and a Prayer, which looks kind of vaguely interesting, but I'm guessing... Probably ends up three stars as well. It's just it's he has to take over the plane after everything goes wrong. I'm gonna check that out next week. I meant to check it out this week, didn't have time. Um, so we'll check it out next week. And Chupa, I don't know what Chupa really is, but I'm intending on checking out Chupa. It's a new Netflix movie. There's some sort of weird, adorable animal thing that's probably a little grosser looking in live action than it would have been if they'd done it as an animated movie. Um, I I don't know fully what the film's about, but I. Phew. I don't have high hopes for that one either. Netflix has not been crushing it for me recently, let's say. <laughs> but that's all for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed. And uh, as always, you know, just you can subscribe, you can follow on whatever platform you watch or listen on. And um, please do make sure that you, uh, you keep enjoying movies because generally movies are good. Even sometimes when movies are bad, movies are good. So I'll see you next time. 